Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Boom sauce, everybody. Boom sauce. I hope everybody had a great weekend and is ready for an absolutely great week. And we're going to do our part here at the Bradford Show. Kicking off with, I think, is an excellent, excellent podcast. It's about an hour long. Robert Stock, Red Sox pitcher Robert Stock. Before I get into a little bit about Robert, let me just ask you or tell you or plead to you. Listen, go subscribe to The Brad Foe Show. Leave a review for The Brad Foe Show. We want people listening. We have committed to this thing throughout the Red Sox offseason, throughout the baseball offseason. We want to be able to storm on into 2021. I think we've done a great job so far. And this is another example that Robert Stock has a great story. If you weren't paying attention to the 2020 Red Sox, you may not be familiar with him. He's a pitcher. He has thrown 102 miles an hour. He, we get into that. We get into his breaking down to Bruce Dargraderall on Twitter. We get into his story. I mean, 13 years old, was named the best player in the entire country, 16 years old. All of a sudden, he's playing college baseball, gets drafted by the Cardinals in the second round, one round before Joe Kelly, which, of course, allows us to tell the old uh, blame it on the Jägermeister draft day story with Joe Kelly. And then gets cut by a few teams after being moved from catcher to pitcher. Ends up with the Red Sox, long story short. But he is not only a great story, but he's a very, very insightful guy. We get into politics and baseball. We get into uh, social media and baseball, which, by the way, one of the reasons we had Robert on was to present him with the award, the best Twitter account in the entire 2020 Red Sox team. So I feel like it was a great time to, to have Robert on. I feel like it was a great listen. He did not disappoint. And hopefully – He'll come on again to talk about a lot more stuff because, like I said, very, very insightful guy. A guy that I think that you want to get to know. All right. Anyway, once again, subscribe, review, have a great week coming up. We got some more really, really good podcasts on the way. We're going to try to do four a week. We've been doing four a week the last two weeks. But you got to do before you do four a week, you have to do one a week. So we're going to start right here. Robert Stock. All right, a man that I've been looking forward to talking with uh, for what's, uh, three months, three months now, Robert Stock. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, sir. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, oh, of course. Listen, um, so when you were acquired by the Red Sox, or you signed with the Red Sox, it was, um, I can tell you, Robert, that, that the, so we, we do uh, post, you know, Red Sox sign anytime the Red Sox sign anybody. And we did the post of Red Sox sign um, guy who threw a hundred with great story. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was, and it, it was, everybody loved the story. Um, the first thing I sort of, I, I also have a, a, a quick presentation to give you too, but uh, I, before we get to that, since I've already started talking about it, you, you signed with the Red Sox, I think, on like July 26th, right? Correct? Uh, sounds about to me. Yeah, right there, right? And yeah. you were with the Phillies. Like, why the Red Sox? How did that happen? Well, when you say signed, it was actually – I was just – I was a waiver claim. You were claimed off yes, yes. FDFA from the, from the Phillies, right? And I was very grateful that uh, – actually, um, Hein Bloom called me himself. You know, usually it's other, uh, like, you know, assistant GM or something that gives you the call. And it was, it was actually the GMs that was – that was a first for me in the many times that I've joined new teams. Oh, cool. So, so what did he say? I mean, I can't go without asking you to say, okay, 
Heim Bloom calls you and says, hey, welcome to the team. This is why we signed you. This is what we want you to do. This is what we see for you. What was that like? Yeah, he said that he was excited to send me to the uh, alternate training site where the coaches there, um, Paul and Sean, I don't remember their last names because I was there for a little bit, but um, that they were going to, you know, every organization has different things that they stress on, like how you can improve and maybe they see something in you that somebody else didn't. And so I went straight there and like immediately was getting um, really good coaching and feedback that wind up helping me. Okay, we're going to get to that a little bit later. But first, like I said, I have a presentation. I've been bearing the lead here. Um, sure. I want to present you with Robert Stock with the, the honor of the best Twitter account of any Red Sox player in 2020. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, uh, thank you. You, you, get you. A, you get a uh, Brad Show t-shirt. Here it is right here. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, it says boom sauce in the back. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we like our boom sauce beer. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so you have, you have the honor of, of the best Twitter account. And in case people don't know, it's Robert Stock, at Robert Stock, uh, six, right? Correct. Yeah. Just whatever the, you know, it, when I signed up for Twitter, it said, we're going to yeah, put one, the number six at the end. Yeah. Okay. Really? Yeah. Someone, yeah. Had, someone else said Robert Stock. I mean, well, someone else had that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a pretty common, common name. I guess. So, well, congratulations. I don't know if you've, uh, you've had a lot of honors in your uh, baseball career in your <laughs> life, but I'm sure this is right up there. And, and I'll, I'll say this, though. This is, to me, this is important. Like, you are, you, the way that you go about doing things, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, I don't think there's enough of you in baseball. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, firstly, I'm, you know, grateful for you saying that. But, uh, no, I mean, I just feel like I – I like baseball as a sport, right? I'm a fan, even if I didn't play. And so uh, I like to interact when there's games going on about baseball and uh, you know, it's fun. Um, So yeah, that's, that's what I like to do is just have fun with the game of baseball. And I should get also, is your wife there? Is Sarah there? Yeah, she's, she's, uh, you should share in this award, by the way. Yeah, no, I mean, she's probably even more deserving than I am, you know, so. I mean, you got a lot of, a lot of play on that one tweet. (laughs) Yeah. The one tweet that people were talking about, in case people don't know. Uh, let's see, if the, where is the tweet? You know the tweet I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so somebody, and, and this is, I give credit, you know, this is another great thing, Robert. I think that you're, you're pretty self-deprecating and you guys have a great sense of humor, right? So um, the, the someone, Aaron Kessler, tweeted, uh, in September, I implore you all to put in the Red Sox game. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And so it says, uh, you know, Sarah says, zero times divorce, but if he keeps walking the lead off better, I consider filing. But she's got a lot, a lot of pub on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I think that once again, I'll say it once again, you, Sarah, like we need more of this. And, and I don't know what it is. You tell me if you agree with this or not is that with baseball players, I've had different conversations with guys about this, is that baseball is probably the worst when it comes to personality on social media. I mean, it's, it, I think there's a reluctance to do it. It's tough because there's so many ways that you can say, like, the wrong thing, you know? That, and, and part of it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it up to other people on social media that will lambast a player for having an actual opinion, an interesting opinion, that you know and they'll be like wow look at this guy is so selfish or he's you know whatever negative thing it is and 
in reality, like that's the way that this person felt. And it's not even a bad thing that this person might have had some self-confidence that they were displaying or whatever. And um, because players, a lot of times they're just like, I don't want to deal with the possibility of giving an interesting answer if it means that I said the wrong answer. And so they'll, they'll just give you the cookie cutter, Bull Durham, you know, I'm here for the team, whatever it is. I don't remember, but and along those lines, and I know it's a little bit, bit different because of the clubhouse situation, but you guys are in, ba- in the world of baseball, you guys are together more than you are with your families all the time. Yeah. This, is, yeah. this goes to honestly, like this goes to politics as well. I've always said that baseball, maybe up until this year, is the least political sport because you don't want, you're so tight in that clubhouse you don't want to have any discomfort, right? So if you tweet something that may be like, hey, you know, why did you let the, why did you have to tweet that? Or why did you, you go there? Then it's, it's more uncomfortable than a football player, than a basketball player, than a hockey player. Am I off base with this? No, you know, and, and, and maybe it's also, I don't know how, what other sports, what their diversity looks like. But if you think about just the range of uh, people from different cultures in baseball, you know, from Japan to Cuba to the U.S., you know, there's people from everywhere. Uh, and so maybe in the past, yeah, baseball players have tried to not really touch any of those boundaries. Uh, and, and I can certainly tell you that um, the political differences amongst players on teams is vast, you know. Yes. That, so there's that. Well, but that's what I do. Uh, that's another thing I'll ask you if, if you agree or not on is that I've always said this, and this year, again, has, I think it's come to the surface a little bit more, is that, that baseball, to me, had always been the least political sport for that reason. Um, and, and listen, I mean, I think it's also baseball probably leans one way more um, than a lot of sports anyway. Um, but, you know, it is so polarizing. And, and the last thing you want to do is, okay, oh, my goodness, I like this guy maybe personally. He's my teammate. I support him. But, boy, do we have different political views. And I have to go in to the clubhouse tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day. Um, is that – am I right on target? Or Yeah, you know, ultimately uh, it's, it's a workplace, right? So And you have things to accomplish for your job. So if you're just sitting there talking your – uh, you know, politics all day, you're probably not going to be doing what you should be doing to get those guys out at 7 p.m. So um, it's one thing, it's like, if, it's, it's really easy. Like, listen, if we don't talk about politics and we can all focus on our jobs and get, you know, get these things done. But, but also it's, it's actually really helped me, uh, you know, talking to people that have varying political beliefs, you get to see that, you know, almost all the time, your varying beliefs are just based on some core ideas that you believe that maybe somebody else doesn't. And then you can extrapolate all sorts of different actual political beliefs from those things. But this person doesn't have to be a bad person because they believe in this one basic fact different than you. Mm-hmm. you know? That's, what, you that's get, what I found, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a great answer. Did you get into, like I said, this year was um, not your normal year for a lot of different ways, including political. Um, did you get into those sort of conversations this year? Did you find yourself more than ever? And I know yeah. on Twitter you get into conversations about it a little bit, but how about like in the baseball world? Yeah, because, uh, you know, when we would do uh, gestures before the game for, you know, varying, um, like for instance, like uh, uh, MLB and Black Lives Matter uh, did some things, you know, on, on the back of the mound. I think there was a BLM logo. But regardless, uh, that's why it actually, you know, those types of politics, different than every single previous year, had to be spoken about um, by like, uh, 
uh, team officials would come in and say, hey guys, this is what we're doing. We're doing it for these reasons. And I'm sure that's, that, that some of the guys might've had you know, varying opinions about what was going on, but it was the fact that we were united as a team. Uh, I think we had the one game when we were in, um, I was gonna say we were in Toronto, but really we were in uh, Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> where we where we canceled the game right in, in in solidarity with a lot of other teams so what was that like well firstly it was um extremely extremely stormy just weather wise and we were in like a makeshift locker that was just like a big tent and we had to evacuate the tent because this thing looked like it was about to um blow over but while it's like feeling like it's blowing over we're having the team meeting about what we're going to, if we're going to play or not. So it's this very serious subject and there's like beams up ahead that are like rattling while people are trying to talk about very heartfelt things. So uh, it was a very surreal experience. Did, uh, did you, I mean, obviously you're new to the team. Is that how difficult would it be to, or did you speak up and how difficult, if you did, how difficult was it, would it have been, or was it to speak up? And if you didn't, how difficult is, did you sense that it was for everybody in that, under that shaky tent to speak up? Um, it, well, firstly, I didn't speak up because I felt like, like a bunch of other people were making very good points, the same points that I would have made. So I'll just, you know, why add on to the same things that they're saying. Um, but uh, I think that if I had something that I felt like would have been contributory to the to the, to the mm -hmm. conversation that the team you know even though I was new would have been 100% welcoming of of my opinion because we're a team you know even if you were there for 10 years or one day so um but then yeah you factor on the thing that we're all sitting around wondering if this tent's gonna fall in on us and it actually the conversation had to end like we kind of had arrived at the decision that we were making before we all had to hey everyone get out of here we actually uh piled onto the team buses for shelter for like 20 okay, minutes yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 2020 in a nutshell. <laughs> anything that you can think of happened in 2020. Was it was it going through that? Like, obviously, you play in Buffalo. You're you're having meetings under tents. I mean, it's great that you you're back in the major leagues. That was awesome for for you, right? Oh yeah. Um, but was it when you got there? Was it what you expected it to be? Was it more bizarre? Was it more distant? Was it more difficult? What was it like? More than any other baseball season I've been a part of, it was very, um, it was just, a, it felt like, like a job, you know, that we're clocking in at the hours that we need to do. We're accomplishing the tasks that we need to, you know, get prepared for a baseball game, go play it. But, you know, when, um, I'm trying, because I'm so new, he was our star, oh, Hauk, Tanner Hauk, at Tanner the Hauk, very yeah. end of the season. This guy goes out there, he absolutely shoves, and he gets his first major league win. Usually, you take that rookie into the clubhouse and you like shower, you know, like shower beer down on him and do all these like crazy fun things in the locker room. And this time it's like, good job, pal. You know, from like six feet away, like an <laughs> air bump or something. Yeah. So it was, it was really bizarre in that it didn't feel, it, it didn't have the same fun atmosphere that a uh, usual major league baseball season does. Well, especially, you know, let's be honest with the teams out of it. And that's at the beginning of the whole process. I wondered, okay, it's one thing to be in it, and be playing but mm -hmm. if a team is out of it what's that going to look like and i actually give you guys credit i look at the last week week and a half and it was there was a lot of enthusiasm and i think that a lot of people were excited about a lot of, a few different things tanner being one of them pavetta pitched really well 
um, you know, shopping carts in the dugout, and, you know, whatever they were. But, so I get, but I was wondering like, Hey, are we counting the minutes to go home? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, speaking from my person, you know, point of view, I think that uh, anytime that a person that has reached the major leagues is out there competing in a game, you're never not giving a hundred percent because it's just not in you to um, not rise to like the competition. So for us, it was, you know, even like the very last series of the year, we were playing against the Braves, amazing team. They went far into the playoffs. And, but so that's, that's fun for us because we know that even though we haven't done well, we could still, you know, put a, you know, like put a hurt on them, not even for the record or anything, but just for our pride, you know? So every time we're playing, even if it, we didn't have anything to gain in standings, uh, it was still just a point of pride that we're going to go out there and do well. And uh, you're working on maybe you're, you know, the, the same thing that you worked on in your swing or your throw um, to right the ship, you then take that into next year. So you made improvements in 2020 that helped you in 2021. Right. And you also, I mean, this is about leaving last, uh, good last impressions, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is, this was the big part of this is that, you know, like I look at a guy like Christian Arroyo, like he left a very good last positive impression, positive mm-hmm. last impression. Um, <laughs> So let's go back. Let's go back. Um, and I, I want to sort of, I think that it's important to, to touch on some of your story, at least. Um, one of the things, you have an excellent Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the things that we plucked out was that the fact that you were identified as the best 13-year-old baseball player in the country by Baseball America. Yeah, when they used to, I don't think, I don't, they rightfully don't, uh, you know, point those out anymore because it doesn't matter. You were a ca- you were a catcher though. I was both. Uh, yeah, you were both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> or was that or, or was that like, you know, was that a lot of street cred? Also, hey, you know, I'm the best 13 year old baseball player in the country. You know what it did for me at the time was it, it was gave me fuel to keep on working hard because you feel that every time you go to the field, everybody on the other team knows who you are, even when you're really young. But that meant that I wanted to, you know, I, hey, dad, let's go hit some baseballs at the park. Let's go, you know, throw or something like that. Uh, because, I, you know, I wanted to uh, hold up my end of the bargain, <laughs> knowing that these kids on the other team are going to be like, look at that guy over there, you know. And, <laughs> um, do, do you get like a, do you get like something for that? I mean, you must have framed. Um, uh... No, I will, you know, I, I, when I was 12, even, even the year before, our, um, I don't know that the whole country plays it, but instead of Little League, we play um, Pony Baseball. Yeah. You know, it's the same type of deal. And there's a, a world championship where we play with different teams and uh, my team went all the way and won it, you know. So there was, there was fun things that you could do if you're really good by going to various tournaments and crushing everybody. <laughs> when, when, so you end up going to USC very young, right? Correct? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that, about – how uh, that came about? Yeah, so my junior year of high school, uh, our team was really good. Uh, we were in like constantly in Baseball America's top rankings of high school teams, and we went all the way to the championship, and we lost to actually um, uh, Travis Darno, the catcher for the for the Braves. He was he was on the team that beat us in the championship. But anyway, we had this great team, and I look, but it was full of seniors. So looking at the next year is going to be. Our team's gonna not. Their team's gonna stink. I'm just gonna get walked every time I bat. You know, it's it's not gonna be fun. So I was like, well, what else could I do? I mean, you could just go 
40 minutes away to USC down the street, you know? It's like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. You tell a 16 year old that he can go to like college parties instead of stay in high school. That's instant. How did, but yes, how do you, you do know? like who, like who comes to you and say, Hey, we can, there's a way that you can do that. Well, so you're, you know, your junior year of high school, you're getting recruited by colleges, including for me, USC. And so when we were talking, the coach, uh, the incoming coach was Chad Cruder, a former yep. major league catcher for many, many years. Um, we're like, Hey, we, you know, USC is very interesting. Do you think it's possible to go now instead of, you know, one year from now? He's like, uh, let me look into it, you know? So he goes and he asks the people responsible for how, how do you get a student to college a year early? And they found this program that's, it's intended for kids who are just like academic geniuses that are going to go to school when they're super young and study for 10 years and come out with all sorts of degrees. And so I had to, you know, I, I did well in school. I had to pass some tests to get accepted and just to get accepted. The moment I got accepted, I was like, thank you for the exception or the acceptance. I'm going to just be a regular student. So it's kind of like a loophole. Um, but, it, but it worked out. I, I oh, you know, I'm sorry. How old were you? I was 16. You were 16. Yeah. Living in a dorm. Yep. In fact, uh, there was a dorm of all baseball players and the first couple of nights there was a, it was all baseball players and one swimmer. I don't know for whatever reason. And so for the first couple of nights, I was just sleeping on the couch in that dorm until they moved the swimmer to a different room. So. Man, that's like 16 years old as, as a, it wasn't intimidating. It was. Luckily I was a pretty like physically large. Okay. 16. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like, like when I was 12, there's a team picture and I'm in the back row with the coaches and, and you have to look closely that I'm not a coach but like an actual kid <laughs> so all right so they, they're like so all the all the kids roaming around campus it wasn't like uh, i was gonna make a doogie Howser reference but no like, that's, that's that's way dated that's like makes me feel like a million <laughs> years old anyway so then there's the baseball aspect of it right yeah like so it's you're play, playing at 16 or 17 like and against these kids like oh my goodness that's that's a high level of baseball, but I would imagine that you had probably have already faced some of these kids, right, coming up or? Well, it's been, like all the kids in the freshman class, basically all, every single one of them I had played with or, or against them in travel ball and all sorts of baseball things. But I, I would say that the level of competition, you know, Friday night in the PAC, this was the PAC 10 back in the day, we're facing guys that were going to be big league pitchers you know, Tyson Ross, uh, Mike Lee, you know, you just go down the list. So every school is Friday night guy was an absolute stud. And it was a pretty large jump. I think that um, later, like for instance, Bryce Harper, he left high school and he, he did. Went to, uh, and he, but he went to a, a community college, which I think is a better like ramp up step than to go straight from high school into D1 Friday night college games. Um, and that's why you have the minor leagues. That's why you have rookie ball and AAA. You're not going to sign a high school kid and send him to AAA. It's the same type of deal. So, but you didn't pitch, you, did you? I I pitched a little bit. I yeah. I would I would close some games, and then my junior year, um, our, our pitching staff wasn't doing that well, and they the coaches were like, "Hey, you're going to start for us." So for the second half of my junior year, I was a starting pitcher. So how old are you when you dr you're drafted by the Cardinals in the second round, 2009? 19. 19. Yeah. I mean, so, all right. So this brings us to the 2009 draft and I'm going to tell you a little story myself. Sure. Um, you know, who was picked in the round after you by the St. Louis Cardinals in that draft? Oh yeah. My friend, Joe Kelly. 
Joe Kelly, who is in the yeah. Bradfoe Show Hall of Fame. <laughs> Love it. He also has one of those T-shirts. Um, and actually, we did a series of podcasts during the pandemic, uh, Quarantine with the Kellys. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, so we, 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 we broke the story of him breaking the window. He was, uh, <laughs> uh, but do you know the story of Joe Kelly, um, why he was picked, not in the second round, but by in the third round? Uh, no, I don't told, know. Told, uh, keep in mind, this is told by Joe Kelly. I'm not sure on the record. Um, so he lived very close to uh, the Angels in Anaheim growing okay. up. And uh, in the second round, uh, you had been picked by the Cardinals. But a little bit, a few picks later, the, the Angels were up. The Angels called Joe Kelly. Now, the problem was is that Joe Kelly's birthday – 21st birthday was the exact same day as a draft. So he had re- rented out, um, I forget the name of the pizza place, but so he rented out the pizza place for a combination 21st birthday draft party. Sure. Problem is the 21st birthday uh, part of it got amped up a little faster than the draft part. Did. <laughs> so the angels call him and uh, they say, if we pick you in this spot, how much would it take to, to assign you? And Joe says something along the lines of a billion dollars and said, I got to go back to the park, right? Right. They pick Patrick Corbin. And so Joe slips to the next round. Yeah. As, so when I'm doing this story, Joe said, I want the headline to be blame it on the Jägermeister. So, <laughs> uh, so th- because of that, you guys, I guess, came up together with the car. Yeah, that, that is the most on point brand, you know, Joe Kelly story that I know, because that's exactly like a lot of experiences I had with them in the, in the minor leagues. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. So you're only a couple of appearances away from joy, being the second member of the 2009 um, St. Louis Cardinals draft class of entering the Bradfoe show hall of fame. So you're, uh-huh. so you're this close. Appreciate nice. it. Um, so you go as a catcher and then you ultimately um, tra- transition to become a pitcher. Yes, Uh, because uh, Mike Matheny, who is the manager of the Cardinals at the time, called me into his office and said, hey, you're a pitcher now. (laughs) Really? Yeah. yeah. Was that in like spring training or was it? Yeah, it was in I was in major league spring spring training as a catcher, you know, so I had spent all offseason long, you know, it's quite a quite a long time, especially in the minor leagues. That's what, five months Um, working out, hitting, you know, and then I go to spring training and. Uh, I'm still catching for a couple weeks. And then is it a coincidence? I don't know, but Yadier Molina signs to a contract extension. And then a day later, like, Hey, Robert, uh, you're a pitcher now. (laughs) But I mean, that's a legitimate, I think, um, leap of faith to say, Hey, we just locked up this catcher for a long time. We think, we think you're of value. Obviously you're a second round pick. We want to get the most value out of you can. You're going to be blocked by this guy, Molina. So you can right. become a pitcher, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and But you don't really have any agency if you're a minor leaguer. Or you, you know, if you say, oh, I'm not going to do that, they say, okay, well, if you don't show up to the field, we'll just place you on the restricted list. We, when you sign your contract uh, back in 2009 when I was drafted, it's a, it's a seven-year contract. So if you want to play baseball, you, ha- you have to play ball with whatever the team wants you to do. How, de- how deep in the spring training was it? Um, I, I, it was, was like it two. I think I had about two or three weeks 
before okay. the beginning of the minor league season. I mean, just thinking through with him, like you're okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pitching, I'm pitching, I'm pitching. Oh, by the way, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm catching, I'm catching, I'm catching. And then, by the way, now, okay, did it, did it, anyone notice? I mean, you were in major league camp. Was this well, a big I, thing? When I got, yeah, I think that there, there was probably some, you know, some beat writers that that um, wrote a story. Or, I don't know, but uh, I got sent. You know, when I got changed over, then they sent me down to minor league camp to go. Oh, okay, to so. become a pitcher. But they shipped me out to a full season team, and so I'm pretty sure that the very first game that I pitched was the first day, day of minor league season. So I've been pitching in practice in the spring training for two or three weeks, and um, I come in in relief in like the first or second inning because our starting pitcher was just getting hit around the yard. Very first pitch I throw, very first pitch, grand slam. Really? So that was my, that was my the first pitch in your professional career? It, yeah. It, it was at least the first at bat. It, you know, it, I, I remembered in my head his first pitch. I'd have to go check the Quad City River Bandits 2012 box score. Oh, we so, could do that. That's what the yeah. internet is for. <laughs> so, wow. There you go. And look at you now. Excellent. It was a premonition for the many years of trials and tribulations that I would have as a pitcher. Listen, it's, it's not how you get, get knocked out. It's how you get back up. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So, and then since then, you know, you had, um, you, 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 again, you hit some obstacles as a pitcher going um, from the Cardinals and to a couple other organizations um, to the point where you were looking for a job. Oh yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about that if you can. Yes. Yeah, so, well, so, in 2000, in the offseason of 2014, the Cardinals called me and they, and they released me, which is, you know, it's actually a good thing if a team's going to release you, that they release you in the offseason because now you have all these opportunities to go throw for other teams. And also, if you're getting released, they probably weren't planning on having you play very often. So they're doing either saying, hey, we don't have a space for you, so we're just going to let you go, rather than uh, what actually had happened to me in the Pirates organization in 2015 was they signed me and again you know I wasn't doing that well but they would just keep me I think I was in double a for a month and a half and pitched three times in what 70 days or 70 you know whatever amount of days 50 days so that was even worse than getting released because now you're you're not getting any better you know you're just getting older so you know getting (laughs) Getting released was better than the alternative of just getting sat on, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then so, uh, and so finally you, you land yourself and um, talk a little bit about the, uh, the trying to, to get baseball's attention again. So I had played an f- entire season in independent ball and independent ball. Like when you go there, every single person, you're just trying to get back into affiliated ball. You know, it's, it's, it's a really fun, it's actually a really fun team environment in independent ball because the only thing that matters is winning the game. When you're in double A, what matters is maybe the coach said, hey, we're going to work on a changeup today. So go out there and just throw, throw a bunch of changeups. We don't care if you get hit around, just throw changeups. And uh, in, in Independent Ball, it's like, hey, we got, you know, a thousand paying fans here and uh, our team only makes X amount of dollars. Go, go win the game because that's just Independent Ball, you know. Um, so that was, that was fun and a great experience. But anyway, but you want to get out of there ASAP. But I had to spend the whole year there. So in the offseason, I'm just sitting going, if I don't get much better at pitching, I'm going to go have to go back to New Jersey and play for the New Jersey Jackals of the Can-American League. Um, so I trained and trained and trained. And my wife and I, we were living in an apartment in, in um, Arizona. 
and she was working literally from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. because um, I so that I could like train half the day, you know. So the most of the props go to her for just allowing me to do all, all these things. Um, and uh, I finally got up to where I was throwing 97, 98, 99 miles an hour at a park, just a regular park, and I would pitch. Uh, it was the only park I could found that had a mound. It's really rare. If you ever go to just like random parks at the baseball fields, they never have a mound. No, and they're usually, if they are, they're beaten down and they have big, you know, holes in the front of the rubber and yeah, they're right. awesome. So this one did have those holes. It was a beaten down mound. So I was pitching off the back of it though. No one pitched towards second base, but I, I could, I, I, you know, I wasn't facing batter. So I was pitching in a park towards second base into a net and, but I was throwing really fast. So I put a, made uh, took some video uh sorry my wife took the video and she edited it and put it on youtube and uh it got you know some people saw it it got picked up by um and it made its way into the hands of some minor or some minor league scouts and so they give me a call and say hey that's an interesting looking video but you want to come throw for us live because you know they, they have to verify that you're not just right you know <laughs> photoshopping the radar gun using a three ounce baseball or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't know you know so I, I threw for the, the very first team I threw for was the Reds. And they told me that they were interested in signing me. And I didn't even go throw for the other team. It was like, that's all I need to hear is I'm signing, you know, so. And it, so it, how hard were you throwing then? I, the fastest I threw was 98.8. 98. So basically 99 miles an hour. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you get to the Reds and then, um, and then, I mean, you're still, you know, it's tough. It must have been tough bouncing around. Like you're, hey, Mike Matheny's just told me I'm going to become a pitcher. I'm becoming a pitcher. And now, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, there's no room in this organization. I'm going to this organization, this organization. And now I'm in an independent league ball. And now I'm going to the Reds. I mean, it must have felt sort of like a whirlwind uh, while you're throwing 99 miles an hour, which is the thing that, you know, hey, I'm still throwing. I, I still can do this. I know I can do this. Right. But I just need the right chance, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and it's not even like teams, you know, when, when I was getting released or not being given a chance, it was because I was not very good, right? Like the teams weren't wrong to, to be getting rid of me. It was just, in my head, I knew that, well, I, I still have a lot of improvements that I can make. So, um, but yeah, jumping around organization or organization, is, it's really different because I was with the Cardinals for six years, same faces year after year after year, you get to be good friends with people and then now you're in one organization after the next you kind of just like oh yeah I remember that guy I played with him for two months on the same team and that's it you know so you you don't feel like necessarily an outsider because people are very warm and friendly and you know good teammates but it's not the same as year after year being in the same organization where did you play in the Mexican league I played uh after that season with the Reds um I was a free agent again you know so I was like uh what I wanted from the so I finished my year in double A with the Reds and what I really wanted was a major league invitation to spring training, not, not the minor league one. Um, and the Reds were like, yeah, nah. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so like, all right, I'll go play in, in, in Mexico. And if I do well there, maybe some other team might be interested in me. So I went down to Mexico and the head coach, uh, Tony Tarasco was a, uh, like a scout or coach, a coach in the Padres organization. So he got on the phone with the Padres and was like, hey, this is pitcher here that's looking pretty good. So they sent a scout down to watch me, and then the Padres signed me with the invitation just to major league spring training, which is what I wanted. 
and just be so, you know, I, I want to get back to the rest of the story, but just be so I don't forget about the Mexican league part of it, which comes, which is full circle to our Twitter conversation, which you had cited on Twitter when Randy Arizarena, um hits, he's like, I gave up. I remember what well, gave up a three run homer there. A walk-off so, home run. A walk-off closer, homer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you were the closer. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I have to ask, um, when he, when you were facing him, did, like when you see him play for the Rays, was it one of these ways, oh, I, I kind of remember him, or was it when you played against him in Mexico, like, oh, man, that guy's that's guy's going to set records in the World Series. He's that good. So, you know, the, when you're going over the scouting report in Mexico, seven-eighths of it is in Spanish, right? So it's like if they were saying really positive things about Randy Arosarena, I don't remember it. You know, I didn't really know who he was. Uh, apparently, he was, you know, and then he gets home. He hit the home run off me, and I was like, wow, that guy's pretty good. But he wasn't a, you know, obviously now he's the best hitter in, in, the, in the postseason, but uh, he wasn't that special or anything. So I probably, if I could go back, I wouldn't throw him a 2-0 fastball right down the middle. <laughs> but you remember, you re, do you honestly remember the 2-0 fastball? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Are you, when, you, when you're in, like, another country and you're close, and, I mean, winter ball in Mexico is huge. Like, there is, it's high stakes in Mexico and the Dominican – and so when you're in another country closing for a team that you've only played for for a couple months and you blow the game, like, you're going to remember. People were pissed? Like, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure, but, you know, like, I was pissed too, you know. Okay. That's, yeah. That's not yeah, exactly. Well, you got any good other – I can't – I got to add. You got any other good Mexican League stories? <laughs> there all seems, seems to be ripe with, with, with good I, stories. I have tons of stories about Mexico, but I don't think that most – like, not about any, any topical players that are now no, playing that's a, or anything like that, yeah. Well, if you think of – you know, we can maybe get loop back because it's – like, again, I'm always down for – I don't care who it is, a good Mexican League story. Yeah. Um, but so you go to the Padres, and now you <laughs> jump forward, you make the major leagues. You make the major leagues, like through all of this, through all this whole story. Oh, yeah. You got to tell me, you got to tell me that whole thing. Like you got to, like, this is, a, it, it can be like every single player in the in, in professional baseball has this story. So when they're told, when they go, when they have um, uh, Dennis Quaid running in from, from the bullpen, you know, right. you know, tell me your story. For me, uh, I've been playing – in AAA, we were playing uh, against Sacramento in Sacramento. And my parents are from Los Angeles. You know, that's where I grew up. And so they drove up to Sacramento to watch me play. That's eight hours away. Uh, I pitched. They said, hey, that's great. Okay, well, we're driving home, you know. And so they drove eight hours back down. And then the next day, I got told I was called up and I was going to play the Giants in San Francisco. So that's only 30 minutes away from Sacramento. So I have to call my parents who had, like, just gotten home. Be like, hey, um, you guys need to drive back up because I just got <laughs> caught up by the, by the Padres. Um, so, but, you know, they were ecstatic. They didn't care about the draft. <laughs> and uh, I got there and I think that the coach, Andy Green at the time, yeah. he, he knew that like a rookie pitcher making his debut, they're going to get a whole lot of nerves. And I saw him do it with other players and he did it with me was he sent me to go like warm up as if I was going to go pitch in the eighth inning in like a tie game or something like that. So I was, you know, you have just so much adrenaline. He gets you hot. He, you know, you're ready to throw. And he says, never mind, sit down. And then, so it's kind of just to, like, calm you. Like, you actually had that experience. And then uh, we go into extras. It's a tied game in the ninth inning on the road. And when you're pitching on the road in a tied game, it's terrible. Because all you can do is just, if you do well, you just don't lose the game for your team. <laughs> 
you know, it's a, oh. it's a, it's a lose, oh. lose tie situation. And so uh, I come in on the road and uh, when you're in San Fran, the bullpen is on the field. It's not, you don't have your own little secluded area. You're just right. down the first baseline. And so all the fans are like, yeah, they, for, they actually like, forgot to put the bullpen in when they made the stadium. Whatever like, That's it is. a true story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I believe it because those fans are right on top of you and you're probably blocking the view for some of them. So they have got nothing to do, but just like yell at you. (laughs) And so uh, I go into the game, the very first batter hits a sharp ground ball that turns into a double. So I'm staring. So there's no outs runner on second base. Um, And I literally, the thought goes to my head, that guy scores. I just blew the game in my debut. Well, (laughs) what can you do? You know, like literally do what, I can't do anything about it, so I'm just cool. I, I mean, I can't do anything about it. I can go strike these guys out. And so that's what I did, and I got out of it. And so it was a, you know, I, my, my family was there for my debut, including my now wife. And I went, and usually you don't always get to pitch in your debut, or sorry, you don't always get to pitch the first day you get called. Right, out. right. But, but I was in a tie game in, you know, a tie game, and I put up a zero. So it was really just the perfect debut story that I could ask for. So. Do, you, do you take that minute to, like, we just talked about your whole path, right? And, and there's so much more to it. Do you take that minute to, at any point in that day, where you're like, you know, like I, I you know, the, like I said, Randy Quaid in, in The Rookie, you know, he goes into the locker room for whatever reason, and let, they let him in there first, and they see all the uniforms, and he sits down and soaks it all in. Was there that moment for you? 100%. 100%. When you're walking into, you know, just it's the big leagues. The facilities are so grand and amazing. And it's completely unlike the minor leagues in, in every respect possible of just how nice everything is and how, how big, you know, there's how, how you know, 40,000 fans, everything. Um, but the moment that you step on, on the pitcher's mound, you've done that so many times that nothing else, you're like, okay, well, I've done this before, you know. Um, but up until that moment when you're just, when you're standing in the dugout, when you're doing, when you're in the locker room, when you're in the cafeteria and they're giving you like steak instead of, you know, uh, was it hamburger? Um, like the, like the hamburger and macaroni thing. I, I don't know. Oh, um, oh, um, oh, ow. A ch- American chop suey. Or, or like hamburger helper. Sorry. That's what yeah, I Yeah. Hamburger thinking. helper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, classic so, vacation reference. Right. It's all you, you can't not know and be soaking in that you're in the major leagues until the moment that you're on the mound now it's like yeah but now all i can see is me and the catcher and there's a batter to the side that wants to hit that ball but i'm not gonna you, you were like kevin costner clear mechanism yeah no but i think every if you've made it to the major leagues and you don't have some sort of way of focusing i don't know how you got there you know so yeah so um so that's awesome that's that's the whole major league experience and then um then you move on from the Padres and you had gone with the Phillies and, and did, did that surprise you? The Phillies let you go. I was a little bit surprised, you know, because I have, I think been a, been a pretty decent evaluator of my performance pitching wise, you know, and I've been more than aware when I'm pitching terribly, you know, which I've pitched terribly for far more than I've pitched well in my career. Um, yeah, so you're kind of sizing yourself up next to some of the other guys, and you're like, okay, well, opening day is um, 30 people make the team, and probably, I don't know, it's like eight, you know, 17 pitchers. I thought that I was going to be on the team, and then the day before, I get, I get told, no, we're going to send you to the alternate site. I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming, but 
you know, okay, I'll pack my bags. I'll go to the alternate site. And then literally as I'm finishing up my last bag in the car, uh, they're like, Hey, uh, we're going to DFA you. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, wait, you're going to, I'm not even on the roster anymore. I was like, wow. Okay. You know, what can you do? We'll just go out. But, but I mean, it was quick. The, I think it was the, the official transaction log will say three days. I think mm-hmm. between the time Heimblum called you and you were DFA'd for at least. It was only, it must've been a day or two, right? Uh, man, I, it's, it's all a blur. The amount of time that I had to sit in a hotel room, not able to go anywhere because of the, uh, so when you're DFA, you're not allowed to go to the field and work out or anything. Um, but also it's a national pandemic quarantine. So it was literally just sitting in your hotel room for three days or whatever. It was. Oh man, man. Um, well, so, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about too is that, and thank you for sharing that, all of that story. It's a great story. Sure. And I'm sure you've told it before. So I always <laughs> hesitate. You know, it's like we had uh, Daniel Bard on uh, last week or the week before. And I had no intention of really having him go through his entire 2020, but mm-hmm. he was so good when he started doing it. I'm like, you know, it's a great story, man. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. So when, when you hear great stories, you, you, you hear great stories, but you know, you would mention something about, um, uh, I think it was stemming off of Gratterall pitching. He's like, yes. you said, so, so Gratterall around here is, a name because the Red Sox traded for him and then they didn't trade for him because of the medical thing. Um, so we, every time he comes in the game and throws that 100 to 102 mile an hour sinker and like, we're like, Oh my goodness, how could you never, but you, you said something on Twitter that I thought was pretty like insightful, like about it's like, I, how little adjustments can go a long way in terms of like not blowing out your elbow and still throwing a hundred miles an hour. Right. Sure. What, so when you see Gratterall pitch, like, and like you tweet that, what, like, what's your mindset? What's your, because I'm, I'll give you more than just 140 characters or whatever. Yeah. So firstly, coaches will, can look at uh, a pitcher's mechanics and you can see nothing wrong, but it's blatantly wrong from the outward eye with someone's mechanics and they can still get hurt. And you can look at somebody else that you're like, that doesn't look right. But then the person, I think the best example is um, Max Scherzer. When you talk about baseball success and longevity, he's right up there. But you don't look at his mechanics and go, that is just the smoothest, most fluid mechanics I've ever seen. He's, he's obviously going to pitch like how Max Scherzer pitches. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on internally that um, internally, and, and what I mean by that is firstly, just your mental focus. But secondly, the way that you're supporting and moving your muscles can't be seen to the outward eye because all you can see from the outward eye is just, literally how are your appendages moving but what you did muscularly to move those appendages you know no one else can see that and so when um and also then when i go to the gratterall thing what i said was that um even though he might have had a sketchy looking mri where you can see some damage to the tendons in his body well if your muscles are doing the job of creating and then absorbing the force then it doesn't, that work isn't getting put onto your tendons very much, you know, if yeah, you're doing it properly, it doesn't, you know, there's people that can throw uh, and can, you know, do all sorts of activity with like completely torn shoulder labrums. And, you know, just like UCLs, every, every single doctor will tell you that every pitcher has some sort of UCL um, abnormality. Sure. So, so, so where did you learn? I mean, where did you, 
um, like you said, for your own thing, mm-hmm. it, it, this has impacted you. I mean, you've, you've thrown 100. According to your Wikipedia page, you threw 102. Where was 102? Where was that? Um, it, in Las Vegas last in 2019, they, you know, in AAA. I've done 101 in the majors and 102 in the minors. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that must have been a good feeling. We had, so we have um, Pat Light. I don't know if you know Pat Light or ever heard. So Pat Light had a brief, he was a first round pick for the Red Sox back in 2012. Um, now he's getting into the podcast business and uh, he threw a hundred as well. So it's okay. interesting to um, hear him. Like he, we were talking about the Gratterall thing and obviously Gratterall barely moves, right? Like mm-hmm. he barely moves in his windup. And Pat was like, listen, I had everything going. And that was one of the reasons everyone hit me because I could see it coming and it was winding up and, and so forth and so on. Um, but, you know, he, he talks about like, about like, yeah, okay, just because you throw 100 doesn't mean this is the be all and all, particularly when it comes to staying healthy. So I guess what I'm going to ask you is, is when did this stuff come to sort of your mindset and how, when did you realize that what you were learning, whether it was the analytics or the information, was translating into that path that led you to 102? So, and this is a whole another story, but where I work out, I came here when I was, I came to this workout place when I was 12 because there was a ESPN special behind the lines on Adam Archuleta, who is this, you know, walk-on football player that then later turned into a first rounder and got paid a bunch of money. Um, so he was good, right? Although he wasn't good towards the end of his career. Anyway. Um, no, he was good. I remember him. Yeah, Safety, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And so, but it was this small guy that wound up, I mean, at the NFL combine, he was a complete stud and there was this ESPN video of him, of, of the training he did. So I was like, I want to go there. So we drove six hours from LA to Phoenix to go meet the guy who does the training. And I've done that training ever since. You know, in fact, my wife and I, like, we bought our house out here five minutes away from that gym because I just think that it's the bee's knees. It's the best thing out there. What's the name? Evo Ultrafit. Okay. Uh, EvoUltrafit.com is a website. And okay. it's, it's, it's pretty obscure because when you go in there, there's all sorts of stuff you've never seen before in your life. Like, you're putting elect- – you see people with, like, electrodes on their forehead and they're doing, like, weird jumps while they're catching weights. It's, it's completely off the walls – insane from the outside view but uh, when you really start to learn it it has some great some great things and one of them is is that if you if you can maintain proper anatomical position and you can do anything you know it doesn't matter we don't care if like we did these measurements of your hip joints and what's going on in your knee and according to these measurements you you shouldn't be doing this and they're like we don't care at all if you just you know if you are in the right position and you're going to do, be able to do the work. So for me, then I got hurt for the first time in my career last year in the middle of the season for the Padres. And um, I think in a four-day period, I threw three times, and all of them was multiple innings each time, you know, which is pretty an, an absurd workload. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to learn, like, okay, well, I'm hurt. And you go get the, the team, you know, they take you and they do all these MRIs, and you can see that your tissue is inflamed, and there's like a small little, you know, there's like liquid or uh, yeah, liquid, I guess, I don't know, whatever in your, in your um, elbow. And so it, in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, well, once this liquid leaves or whatever it is, once this inflammation subsides, I'll be fine. 
and it did subside and I still wasn't fine because what had actually happened was that uh, as I got fatigued in my pitching outings, I stopped maintaining the proper position of my mechanics or whatever. And I didn't even realize that I was so tired. And my goal was, you know, throw it hard, get this major leaguer out that I had just automatically, my brain had been like, well, you're so tired. You can't do it like how you used to do it. We're going to have to do it a different way. But that way was injurious or whatever the word is. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't know that because I was so focused on just what the tissue looked like on an MRI that, and that ultimately, even though I waited, you know, six months and it still hurt, it wasn't the tissue. I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on until I just realized the mechanical changes that had to be made. And then boom, like that, it was fine. It's gone. Yeah. It was that, and that was because of um, the facility there in Arizona. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, they figured that out. Their, one of their main tenets is that you want to keep your muscles very long. A long muscle can work. You know, if, if a muscle is too short, it, no, it can't do any work anymore. Uh, it, you know, if you think about it, if, if you're doing a bicep curl and you are already curled, you can't do any more. You know, but if your bicep was long, now it can do the work. So what you must look at guys like, again, not to, this isn't like the Bruce R. Gratterall show, but he's an interesting guy to me. But you yeah, must look at him and like look at him in a, in a way that, you know, not just like the average fan. Like you look at like how he's delivering the ball. You look at his motion. Like you said, his how upright he is, the, the movement. And then obviously the result, you must like, it must be an interesting guy for you to look at. So what a lot of times coaches will mistake, and this isn't professional coaches, it's mostly, you know, like um, less experienced coaches is they'll look at like how smooth and easy Bruce Gratterall is or how smooth and easy uh, Cody Bellinger's swing is. I guess Cody Bellinger's isn't smooth and easy, but well, it's fluid and smooth, even though he'll swing and his helmet will come off. But um, like, listen, when you're, Listen, son, little 10-year-old, when you're swinging, you want to do it nice and easy like the big leaguers. But what makes it look nice and easy for the big leaguer is they are so dang efficient. They have eliminated anything that doesn't actually help them accelerate the bat, accelerate the ball, control their body. Anything that doesn't help them, they don't do it. So it looks really smooth, but what you're not seeing is the, the intensity you know, beneath the scenes is immense. They're just so good at it, it looks like they're hardly trying. So when I look at... <laughs> So I looked at Bruce Gratterall and he was like, oh, look, he's not even trying. It's like, no, no, no. He's just so freaking good at only moving the things that actually help him throw that that's why he throws 102. The same thing is um, the Pirates old closer who is now in trouble with the yes, law. Yeah, Felipe. Um, uh, he changed yes. his name. It was Vasquez. Yeah. And, I yeah. don't know. Anyway, he was the same type. He could throw 102 and, and it looked like he was just walking through the park. But – if you go out and you try and emulate that ease, you're not going to just throw 102. It's that he's so good at only doing the things that throw 102 and nothing else. So. Yeah, that's that's that's. I mean, because I sit there and you watch him, and you're like, how how does he do it? When when it was you know to go back to Bard, like Bard when Bard was pitching back in you know when he was really rolling for the Red Sox, 2009, 2010, 2011. This was a, it was it wasn't there wasn't a lot of guys that threw as hard as he was and you said oh well he's long and lanky and he winds up and we can kind of get why he throws a hundred mm-hmm. right oh, yeah. but but now it's like everybody's approaching a hundred and they're not doing it with nearly like you you don't have an enormous like 
you're, you're not like saying, oh, I, it doesn't seem like when you pitch that I'm going to like put absolutely everything behind this and I'm going to try to throw it through a wall. Like, yeah, I so can see the I, efficiency when you pitch. Is what I'm saying. I think that, and but the efficiency comes from just being more skilled. You know, the very first time that I ever threw a hundred, uh, my head's all over the place. I'm having to put everything into it. But as I'm getting better at pitching, and I'm still continuing to get better, I'm I'm becoming more smooth, and that's because I'm shedding the thing. You know, I did a bunch of good things and some wrong things, and I'm shedding more and more of the bat of the negative mechanics. Was there anything joining the Red Sox that piqued your interest the way that they did things or the way they taught things or the way they approached things? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned them earlier, but the, the guys that were the, at the alternate training site, um, Paul and Sean, can't remember their last names. Paul but, Abbott, um, yeah, Paul yeah, Abbott. Yeah, Paul Abbott, yeah. Uh, they instantly had really good feedback for me. And, and the reason that I liked their feedback was because it also resonated what I had been thinking as well. You know, sometimes a coach tells you something and it had never even crossed your mind. But that's not necessarily a bad or good thing. But the things that they were telling me was like, this is exactly what I've been wanting to work on. And you have actually like a good solution for me to fix it. Perfect. You know, uh, one of those things just being um, uh, like a grip on a fastball or a grip on a slider. My, my slider, um, I think you'll note it. Or, you know, if you watch my very first outing that I had uh, for the Red Sox versus the Rays, my slider was very like, horizontal and loopy and slower and uh, you know i was up and down and i would go back down and the hey i had this experience in the big leagues like okay well maybe if you hold your slider a little bit more on this team over here you'll get rid of that loop and i go do it in the alternate site and it works i'm like heck yeah this is this is exactly what i want from a coach or um you know various things like that with mechanics um even just pitch usage uh towards the end of my outings in 2020 i was finding some more success because I was finally could throw my slider for a strike. And they're like, yeah, your slider, according to our metrics, like if you threw your slider 60% of the time, that would be ideal. You know, really? I didn't actually, I didn't actually get up to that amount, but you know, you can't, you have to be able to throw your slider for a strike. What I found is that um, every single level you go up, you know, from rookie ball up to triple A to the big leagues, the hitters get better at hitting a fastball and they get better at laying off your slider. That's, or you're breaking stuff. That's a ball. Right. So in even more side note, if you watch sometimes, if you go watch like a, a spring training or an A-ball game where a big leaguer is rehabbing, it's so common that that big leaguer gets just hit around the yard. And in, in their experiences, because they don't realize like these minor leaguers, they're just swinging at everything. But you're a big leaguer and you're used to throwing strikes because at the big leagues, they're willing to take some strikes to not chase at your slider that's three inches off the plate so much. Whereas in the minor leagues, they're just swinging everything. And if you throw it for a strike, you, you kind of hamstring yourself. So um, once you get to the big leagues, you have to throw in the strike zone more often. 60%. I mean, like to, I would imagine if somebody told you, Hey, Hey, you who throw a hundred, who throws a hundred, mm-hmm. go throw your slider 60% of the time. Like a few years ago, you'd be like, why, 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 why? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when I was with in spring training with the Houston Astros in 2015, very long time ago, they showed every single minor league pitcher, they showed us a, a graph of starting pitcher uh, pitch usage. And they said that according to this graph, the faster the starting pitcher throws his fastball, the greater percentage of breaking balls they throw, which was to baseball minds. That's like crazy. 
the, everything you hear when you're younger is you throw a 95, you should be throwing your fastball more often. And, but then you're thinking, yeah, but they're, it's getting hit all the time. And what happens is that uh, I think that a hitter, if you're throwing really fast, they're going up there with the sole thought of be ready for the fastball, be ready, for, don't get beat by the fastball. If you're throwing 90 and they're like, okay, he's going to throw a fastball. I can be ready for that. At the same time, I'm ready for the breaking ball. You kind of sit in between pitches. If you throw slower, if you throw faster, they're just selling out for one pitch. So that's why you throw the other one. It's true. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's a couple guys, um, you were with Workman for a little bit, but Matt Barnes is a perfect example of this, right? I mean, okay. Matt Barnes is a guy like now you had two guys in that bullpen for the last couple of years in Barnes and a Workman who threw more curveballs by percentage than, mm-hmm. you know, almost anybody in baseball. But yet at the same time, you, they threw 97, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. So, well, firstly, 97, 100 miles an hour is still really good, but it's not super rare. Hitters are seeing that night after night after night. In the past, you know, 20 years ago, if a guy was throwing 100, just throw your fastball. I mean, their chances of hitting it are pretty low, but – I have, to, night, you know? I have to ask though, like when you throw a hundred to two, what, how did you, did you see it on the, like the, the, the reading oh, yeah. in the stadium? I don't go into the game without probably knowing where the, um, where the radar is displayed in the stadium, you know? <laughs> you aren't alone. You aren't alone. So no, when you hit a hundred and two, do you like, yeah, was, that know, felt like a hundred and two. I haven't done it again. It was just that one night, but I felt electric, right? Like, it's just like whatever is going through my body just feels amazing. And what's, you know, when you do something the best that you can, you don't feel it. In every single sport, they'll talk about how, you know, what did that feel like? It's like, it just, they'll, they'll describe emotional feelings, but actually physically, you don't feel anything because everything's going right. You only feel like a muscle being used if you're actually not doing it as well as you can. Yeah, so that's a great that's yes that's a great way to put it you've yeah. been very generous for your time I, I appreciate it i hope that sure. uh that i haven't kept you too long but i i would be remiss if i didn't i noticed that you were a film buff correct uh am- yeah. amateur, amateur i mean i don't expect yes, you to be yes. paid for it right no, 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 no. Yeah. so uh very controversial topic what is your favorite sports movie so when i was younger it would definitely just be the the, the movie little big league Oh, really? It's, uh, it's, this is when I was young. Uh, that's the one where um, a little kid comes into, he now owns the twins. <laughs> so here's a side note yeah. of that. I'm full of side notes today. I'm sorry. I don't mean to blow up Not these stories. Um, the Mets first round pick this year was a mm-hmm. kid, uh, actually probably, I think he's in the LA area, Pete Crow Armstrong was his name. Okay. His mom was the mom in Little Big League. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yes. I, yeah. And I can remember exactly. I mean, that was my favorite movie. I watched it, you know, a hundred times or whatever. And I was younger. Yeah. So. so there you go. So that was, so that's your favorite sports movie or. I'm trying to think about what ones that I like. as. An what's your favorite. Movie. What's your favorite? Like, okay. You know, the, the big one is like, you know, and I can say slap shot and I can say Caddyshack and I can, you know, whatever, but baseball, the big one is like always is the dividing line is major league and like the natural and, um, you know, maybe for the love of the game, those three, give yeah. me your order. Give me your power rankings. Of major league for the love major of the game league, and the natural. The natural and for, for the love of the game. Um, I haven't seen the natural in forever, but I think that's going up at the top because I know that I, for the love of the game is fun, but it's not, you know, it's not my cup of tea. 
and major league is extremely funny right but my, my wife we watched it the other night and we we're like my wife's like do all pitchers say clear mechanism before they pitch as a, no no none of them say well you know yeah. some of them probably have a mantra but um yeah you know what the, the scenes that stand out oh sorry full durham easily the best oh, base on the oh i'm sorry yeah i left yeah. that one out that's uh, that's number that, that, i don't even have to think twice about doing that one as number one okay um but uh in for the love of the game john c Riley, right is that he, he's Worth, the catcher yeah or, yeah, yeah. I mean, well he shows up at um the main character's apartment or ho- hotel room like wearing his baseball hat in just like at, at the hotel it's like that does not happen you know it's like whoever wrote this movie has no idea what baseball is except for just some really cursory examples yeah i love john c raleigh but that was a bad casting job that was like this is going way back there's a movie called brewster's millions with richard pryor uh-huh. and J- john candy was the catcher i'm like <laughs> this just this shit would never happen is there you know do you have a favorite movie like all time yes uh gladiator I, for me, what my what my metric is for a good movie is it's a movie that runs you through the entire gamut of emotions. You know the the and so it it, it hits all of them. That's why I love Gladiator so much. Not a lot uh, of not not a lot of chuckles in Gladiator though. Not a lot of not, yucks. Not a lot, but it's still my favorite. Uh, but we'll see. Also, okay. So then, probably my second. Well, then my top three includes There Will Be Blood. I just that movie is so good. It's um, Daniel Day Lewis and oh my oh I, yeah, that's yeah. like and you know what like the the music the 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 pounding the the build up. So an interesting point is the guy who did the music for that the soundtrack is the guitarist in Radiohead, uh, Johnny Greenwood, and Radiohead is my favorite band. So it really is like the best actor with my favorite music just all in one. Did you know that? Did you know that at the time? Uh, no, you did. You know, th- well, I go watch the movie, and then afterwards, you know, as I'm like, that was a great movie. Let me find out everything I can about it, and I find out that it was Johnny Greenwood that did, that did the soundtrack, and it's like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. One of the most unlikable characters in any movie I've seen, right? In Daryl Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, it, like, it, like, it, this is a testament to how good he played the role. Right. But the character was one of the most unlikable, like. Yeah, I, there is. There's aspects of him to dislike because he's not a very good father to his son, you know, but, uh, but to me, you know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the character, even yeah. though he's not a good person. Yeah, I don't know. No, no. I mean, like it's, 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 it's an interesting character. He's an interesting yeah, character. Yeah. That's more, that's probably more. It's like, because he's so interesting. I just want to watch every scene I can with him. You know? And how about, yeah, uh, I, who, how, who's the guy that plays a preacher in it with the, uh, who, and they, when they have the bowling, when he has the bowling alley and, yeah, and yeah. no one on this podcast listening is probably knows what we're talking about. Cause this isn't exactly <laughs> like, it's like, it's not like gladiator. It's not in the TBS rotation, but right. still it's like that, that, who is that? Who, who is that actor that plays the preacher? Oh, you know, man. but I'm you know who I'm talking about. Oh yeah. And he's been but, in a bunch of other good things where he's really, he always kind of plays a creepy guy. Uh, oh, like, yeah. and, oh Paul Dana, my wife. Paul, thank you, thank you very much. Sure, yeah. uh, Paul, I mean, he is over, like he is like over the top, like, and just I can't. He probably strikes me as a guy who, like, when you get off set, he's probably acting like that for three days. He's a method actor, right? I don't know. Well, uh, firstly, Daniel Day Lewis is you know infamous for his method acting. I don't know about Paul Dano because um, 
I think it would probably be tough to behave like that all the time. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis, right near where I live here in Massachusetts, they did the Crucible. Yeah. And so Daniel Day-Lewis is in the Crucible. And my father's highlight of his life, mm -hmm. um, he would say, other than being married and having two children, but I would probably put this ahead of that in, <laughs> in truth term, was being an extra in the Crucible. Okay, that's, Day -Lewis. that's awesome. Yeah, we watched that in um, high school because we read The Crucible and then we'd watch the movie. So, yeah. so I used to, you ever remember a pitcher named Zane Smith? Zane no. Smith, oh, see, he pitched for the Pirates back in the day. Okay. Abel Stan Belinda, he was also a reliever. So these are the, like the early, early to mid-90s Pirates. It's okay. okay. But... Um, I was a young reporter and they're like, yeah, we want to go fishing. I'm like, I'll take you out fishing. So we went out fishing and it was when they were filming the crucible on the Island. So they had like the backdrop of the Island. You couldn't go past. And I'm thinking like, Hey, can you imagine like if all of a sudden there goes Zane Smith, like cruising past like the <laughs> hang the witches scene in the crucible. Yeah, so, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, like I said, I've kept you, too long i appreciate it i could talk about movies all day long maybe another podcast if you'll yeah on, so. i'm a big fan of movies all right excellent so robert thank you so much and uh, i hope you have a stay safe have a great off season uh you deserve it congratulations on everything and i hope i hope i hope i hope we can have an in-person conversation in fort myers next yeah time. that'd be great yeah thank you very much for having me this is this is a blast all right